Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. I love it when church gets real, don't you? The religion stuff just doesn't work. A family before God, we're called to be real together. And um, it takes great courage to share. Let the mask slip. We're going to talk a bit about that today. Let the mask slip and actually get to re- into the reality of, of who we really are and what we're really struggling with. So uh, there's real life on that. So bless you guys. Thank you for sharing this morning. So we're going to continue our detox series. Are you enjoying this? Yeah. Are you detoxing? That's the main thing. <laughs> are you applying what you've heard? Okay, maybe. <laughs> We've got some listeners in Japan, so welcome Japan. Um, so I've had a few downloads, and um, yeah, some that are in Japan. So if you're listening in Japan today, you're very welcome. Um, it's great to be speaking to you about detox. So today we're going to talk about spiritual detox. That sounds a bit of a weird one, doesn't it? Why do we need a spiritual detox? Well, sometimes church messes us up. Sometimes religion messes us up, and we go through life and we collect all sorts of bits and pieces, and we compile a theology of sorts that we kind of use to guide our life by. But often we don't take the time to stop and examine that theology and see whether actually it really is true or whether it really does measure up to uh, the reality of Jesus. We just kind of get this potpourri of theology. Everyone's got a theology. You need to understand that even if you have no faith here this morning, you have a theology. You have a way of doing life. You've got a, a, a paradigm which you use to make sense of life. You've got a set of beliefs that you apply to life, and that's your theology. And so we go through life and we collect this kind of jumble. Um, maybe you're maybe a bit like that. Think of that as your belief garage this morning. Now, I'm sure none of your garages look like that at home. Maybe they do. But the thing about garages, they attract stuff, don't they? We, we, we get stuff, we think, well, we may use that sometimes, we'll stick it in the garage and we, we store and we, we collect and there's junk in there and there's good stuff in there. And we've got this whole, whole mixed bag of stuff that's sitting in our garage. And it's like that with your beliefs. You've got, if you were to peel back the, lift the door on your belief garage this morning, there's all sorts of stuff in there. Some of it you'd have collected way, way back. Some of it would be quite new stuff. Some of it would be shiny and bright. Some of it would be old and dusty. Some bit corroded, some bit you won't even know is in there. It'll be stuff that's right in the back, and you won't have even realised it's gone in there. But you've collected all this stuff, and it's informing your spirituality, whether you realise it or not. So today we're going to spend a bit of time getting some of the stuff out of our belief garages and having a little sort out, and seeing... Well, the question I want to ask you this morning is, does it look like Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? Years ago, we had the WWJD brace, didn't we? Remember those? The What Would Jesus Do bracelets. And they were quite good, actually, because they were kind of helpful to have on your wrist and remind you. But when we get back to spirituality, what we need to do is say, does what's in my belief garage look like Jesus? Does it sound like him? Does it look like him? Does it reflect him? Because if it doesn't, then really it doesn't need to be in there. It needs to be chucked away. Because Jesus is the centrality of our faith. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of our faith. And so... This morning, I wanted you to be thinking about getting stuff out of your belief garage and kind of holding up to the light and say, does this look like Jesus? After spending three years with the disciples, you know, eating with them, 
traveling with them, sleeping with them, modeling ministry to them, teaching them. Jesus said this to them in, in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you've seen me. So this is Jesus' massive reveal to the disciples. Guys, I am God in flesh. I am God in flesh. I've been living with you for the past three years, doing life together with you, showing what the Father's like, showing what the character of God's like. I've been living with you. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Amazing. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now, I know Jesus had godly patience, but can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine the frustration of Jesus in this? I've lived amongst you for three years. I've demonstrated everything about God. I've come as God in flesh. And now, Philip, you say to me, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. We still want to see God. Jesus said to them, with infinite patience, I dare say, or perhaps the gospel writers were very kind in the way they recorded this, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? And that was the, the great reveal that Jesus gave to the disciples. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now I think there's a bit of Philip in all of us. I think we all want God to show us something new. We want God to show us something special or something super spiritual or something different. What we don't want is more of Jesus. Amen? Sometimes it's like, God, show us anything but Jesus. Jesus we know, Jesus we're familiar with, Jesus we've heard about since we were little, we see him in nativities, we hear about him. Show us anything but Jesus, something more than Jesus. Just show us the Father, show us something more. I want to show you a video from a friend of mine called Carl Medeiros. Can I drop the lights down a fraction? Uh, my name is Carl Medeiros, and I was born in Hillsborough, Oregon. So I went to Beirut, Lebanon uh, in 1992 as a Christian missionary. I don't know if I got the memo wrong or what, but uh, Muslims didn't want to convert to my religion. And that kind of confused me. I mean, Muslims didn't want Christianity. I mean, that, that left me a little bit confused and disoriented. And so I thought one of three things must be true. Either Muslims are really hard, but Muslims weren't hard. They were like the nicest people in the world. They were so kind and they were bringing food to us and welcoming us and doing, they were act, actually acting like Jesus towards us. They were actually rescuing us more than we were saving them. Or that my message is wrong and Christianity actually isn't true. It isn't the way. And then, but I thought that can't be true. Or that I was doing something wrong. But then all of a sudden I realized, I think there's always another possibility. I had three, but I think there was a fourth. It was that Christianity, as I thought of it, and as I knew it, wasn't right. But what could I replace it with? And I mean, literally one day I'm reading the Gospels, and it hit me. Jesus. And then I thought, well, yeah, but Jesus, Christianity, Christianity, Jesus. You know, it's the same thing. That sent me on this journey from 1992 that I'm on still now of differentiating and trying to figure out what is different between the religion of Christianity and following Jesus, this beautiful, wonderful person, friend, savior, lord, master, teacher, rabbi. And when I started talking to Muslims about Jesus and how profound he is, how life-giving he is, how much he disliked his own religious leaders who thought they owned him then, 
and my religion thinks they own him now and how he would probably critique my religion now like he did his own then. When I started to realize that, it changed everything for me internally. I started to fall in love with Jesus, who I think I hadn't really known before. I knew religion, I knew doctrine, I knew systems, I knew uh, theology, but I had missed Jesus, much like the Pharisees. And as I repented of that, and as I am still repenting of that now, I feel like the message of Jesus to Muslims and Jews and Christians and atheists and secularists is this beautiful, life-giving, inviting message that I want to give my life for. Mm. So it's Carl describing his, his journey, really, back to the person of Jesus. As he said, he went to the Middle East, he found that his Christian message wasn't working, it wasn't it was just seen as another system, another religion. Uh, but when he started to talk to people about Jesus and rediscover Jesus for himself, then a massive transformation occurred. And the problem is, guys, a lot of what we do in church has nothing to do with Jesus. A lot of what we gather in our belief garage doesn't even look remotely like Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect Jesus in any way. And so as we think about detoxing our spirituality, we have to get back to the person of Jesus. He's our reference point. Amen? And I want you this morning not to be condemned, okay? I want you to be convicted. There's a difference, okay? Condemnation comes from the devil, and condemnation makes you feel bad. It makes you feel depressed. It makes you feel disillusioned. It makes you feel hopeless. It makes you feel like you can never change. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, and conviction says this needs to change, and there's hope, and there's healing, and there's difference in the future for you. So if this morning, if I'm speaking about something, it lands on you, and you feel like, yep, I've got this in my garage. I don't want you to come under condemnation. I want you to feel convicted. And conviction says, I'm going to take this to the cross and I'm going to deal with it. So I want my spiritual garage, when I lift that door up, to be full of stuff that looks like Jesus. Amen? Because that's what makes our religion, our our belief different. It's the person of Jesus. And that's what Carl went through this whole process since back in the 90s, right through, I've met him Met him in Dubai last year. Was it the year before? And he's still going on that whole journey of putting Jesus at the centre of his faith. And it's very, very challenging. Because it's much easier to be religious than to be people who follow Jesus. And so there's Philip saying, you know, Jesus, we've had you for three years. You're great, but show us something else. Show us something. And we're a bit like that in church. But we can't get past Jesus. You can't graduate past him. You can't get around him. You can't get over him. He's the, he's the rock that causes men to stumble, Scripture says, isn't he? You know, you can't get past Jesus to a greater revelation, to a third or fourth heaven, to something more in God. Jesus is the ultimate pinnacle, the, the, the paragon, that's the term, isn't it? The epitome, the full revelation of who God is. And so we start with him as we think about detoxing our spirituality. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat down for a meal with his disciples, his last meal with them. We now call it the Last Supper. And during that meal, he painted a picture um, for them of what life was really like if we do life with him. And it was a picture of a garden. And it's a very familiar passage. It's in John 15. And he says this, I am the vine, sorry, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will become even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, these extraordinary words of Jesus, that you've heard probably over and over again if you've been around church for a while. Everyone's familiar with John 15, and we think of the vine, and we think of the branch, and we think of Sunday school pictures, and we think of nice little green shoots and all this stuff. But within this, there's a massive, massive profound truth that Jesus is stating to us as believers. If we start with our detoxing our spirituality, it has to start right here with this picture of the vine and the branches. Because Jesus is describing our intimate relationship and connection with him. And it's absolutely key. And the first thing you realise from this is that we're not supposed to be self-supporting as Christians. Yeah? We're not supposed to be like cut flowers in a vase. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be. Many Christians live that way. They've kind of fashioned a vase of their own making and they've stuck themselves in it, in that, that, Christian, in that Christian vase, and that's how they live. But that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live as branches connected to a vine, the vine of Jesus. We're not supposed to be sort of slowly wilting in a, va- in a vase of our own making. Yet many Christians live that way. They live disconnected from the life and grace of Jesus Christ. I had a friend up in Birmingham, um, in fact he's still there, and he said, I remember him saying years ago, he said, I can't get through the day without Jesus. And I thought, that's a bit weird, a bit flaky. You know, I'm sure you can get through a couple of days without Jesus. You know, I mean, what's wrong with you, man? You know, man up. Um, but the more I thought about this, the more I was convicted that it was absolutely true. Because what he discovered was that the reality of this passage that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. You know, remain in me and I remain in you. If you don't remain in me, you can't do anything. And he, he, he comes to the revelation, quite a humbling revelation, and even more humbling to share that revelation, that he couldn't get through a day without Jesus. And that's the reality of our relationship, our interconnection with the person of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want us to think about as we detox to our spirituality is detoxing independence. Okay? Independence. Spiritual independence. We've all prone to it, are we? Yep. You're such a truthful bunch. I do like you. <laughs> Either that or your arms don't work. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> Spiritual independence effectively is saying, God, I've got this now. I'm okay. I can run with this. I've got this. You know, leave it to me. I can do this. And it's something we all do to some degree, don't we? We do, because it taps into the fact that we like to be masters of our own destiny. We like to control our futures. We like to think we have some modicum of... of, of, of we can stand alone. We, we, you know, that's ingrained in us. It's ingrained in who we are as people. And you can see this desire for independence all the way through Scripture, right back from the garden, right through to the journey of the Israelites, to the wilderness, and then into the, uh, the promised land, and oscillating backwards and forwards between commitment to God and independence from him are right through into the New Testament. And right through the story of the prodigal son. The son who wanted to live independently from his father. Father, give me everything. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for all that. I'm off on my own now. Thank you. The story of spiritual independence. And it's there. It's there for us all to see. And when Jesus told that story, the story of the prodigal son, he told the story of a father who waited expectantly for the son to return, didn't he? a father who was waiting in hope that the son wouldn't live in independence but would come back and live in the father's house 
under the Father's protection, with the Father's provision. And independence is a massive lie in our spirituality that really needs a detoxing, because it's a very subtle lie. But it sits there in our spirituality, and we kind of feed it in all sorts of different ways on a daily basis. And so it's one that really needs tackling. You see, it's, it's been Satan's strategy from the garden right through to now to try and make you live independently of God's grace. That's what he tries to do. Did God really say, do you really need Jesus every day? Really? Really? You know, you've, you've got enough in your own tank, haven't you? You can stand on your own two feet, can't you? You know, it's only flaky people who need Jesus every day. And so he encourages us into this independent spirit that we can kind of get more and more into. And what Satan will whisper to you is that God wants to control you. God wants to enslave you. God wants to limit you. God wants to prohibit you. So the less time you spend with him, in some ways, the better. Because you kind of dodge the headmaster's office and you're kind of free to play, aren't you? And that's the trap and that's the lie that the enemy tries to feed us. You know, independence is freedom. But actually, independence is not freedom. Independence is enslavement. To actually be connected to Jesus is freedom. He said, I give you life and I give it to the full. And so, but the, the devil tries to invert that and encourage us into independence. So as you look in your garage this morning, your, your spiritual belief garage, do you see independence in there? A big lump of it, like an old lawnmower you want to pull out. You know, is there, is there a lump of independence in there that you need to deal with? Because if there is, you need to root it out. You need to root it out. It might be an action. It might be an attitude that you carry. It might be a set of habits you have. There might be areas of your life that you, you act independently of God because you think it's freedom and you think you're free there. But actually, there is enslavement there. And so dig it out. Hold it up. Does it look like Jesus? Is it attached to him? Is it connected to him? If it's not, chuck it away. We've got the cross out this morning. Um, the reason we've got that there is because later on in ministry, I put some post-its out and some pens. And you might want to scribble something on a, on a post-it. Okay? Not so you put your name on it or you date it or anything like that. But you might say, you might put independence. And you might want to take that poster and you might want to push it into the cross as a way of saying, I want to journey to get rid of this from my spirituality. Might be something else that God speaks to you about. But have a reflect on that as we're going through today. So independence, one of the first things we need to deal with if we're going to detox our spirituality. Closely linked to that is hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is linked to pride. Now, what is hypocrisy? Well, Jesus used the term hypocrite 17 times in the Gospels. It was quite a popular phrase of his. Uh, He also included it in six woes to the Pharisees. Not like woe to a horse, like woe. You know, woe, bad news, woe, okay, Pharisees. Six woes to the Pharisees. You hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Six times in Matthew 23, he uses a phrase. Why was Jesus so distressed by hypocrisy? Have we got any ideas? What, what is a hypocrite? Because on the surface it appears that you're doing the right thing or saying the right thing, but underneath you're not. Yeah, you're pretending to be one thing, but underneath you're something different, aren't you? It's pretense, exactly. The hypocrite was an actor in the Greek or Roman play who always wore a mask to hide their identity. So they were the pretender in the play. You didn't know who they were underneath the mask. And so... Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the day because they pretended to be one thing on the outside but internally they were something different altogether. 
They were the pretenders of the day. And they presented this front of being spirit-filled, God-led, humble leaders. But in in reality, what was inside was religious pride and control. And Jesus said this to them. He saw straight through the facade and he pinned them and he said this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. He doesn't pull his punches, does he? You know, inside you're this beautiful white facade. I'm sorry, outside, but inside it's just all rotten and dying. And now hypocrisy itself isn't pleasant, but the problem with spiritual hypocrisy is it compounds the issue. Because we, we present a front of spirituality, but inside, if we're not being transformed inwardly, then it's, it's a, effectively it's a double whammy. It says in 2 Timothy, uh, this, is, um, this is what was written there, it's like having a form of godliness but denying its power. So it's kind of saying, I am this, I am spiritually transformed, I am alive, but actually inside there's something completely different going on. It's spiritual pride, if you like, full-grown. It's grown up, and what's more important to us is presenting a facade or a face, but inwardly we're kind of rotting and we're dying. And that's the problem with spiritual hypocrisy. Not only are we independent of Jesus' love, but now that's grown up into a spiritual pride and indifference, and it's taken the form of hypocrisy. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Don't be like the hypocrites. He said this in Matthew 6, and he said... You know, don't, be, don't present this show. Don't stand on the street corner saying fancy prayers. Don't present this religious facade. Go into the secret place with your father when Noah sees you and get real spiritual transformation. Because the Pharisees, they've received their reward in full. And what he meant by that, there's nothing left for those guys because they're presenting a false facade and they've effectively closed heaven over their heads. But you go into the secret place with your father who knows you anyway and knows all your failings, and knows all your mess-ups, and knows all, your, knows all your, the dualistic nature of your thinking and your actions. Go and spend time with him, and he will transform you. He will change you. He told this story, Jesus, in Luke 18. He said, To some who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, he told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and one was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like these other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we have to be really careful with hypocrisy because it's attractive. Um, it helps us maintain the religious facade. It helps us do church well, doesn't it? Because no one gets behind the mask. No one gets underneath to see what's really going on. But the reality is we're all broken people. We're all people who need to cry, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because as we humble ourselves, God raises us up. But if we exalt ourselves, God can't raise us up. So have a look in your spiritual garage again this morning. Is there anything that tends towards hypocrisy? You know, are you being hypocritical in any area of your life? And if so, just bring it to God.
and the prayer to pray is, God, have mercy on me. I don't want to live dualistically. I don't want to have to put a face on. I don't want to have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And perhaps your religious upbringing through church has, has formed that in you. It's formed like a protection mechanism in you. And it's really hard to think about doing life without that now, of letting that facade come down. But Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be the pretenders. Live, live fully in the light of God. Stay connected to Jesus with all our brokenness and let's get, support each other and get help from him to be detoxed. So that's our potential issue with hypocrisy. Next I want to talk about religious spirits. What's the symptoms of a religious spirit? Well, you might find yourself being more critical of people. You might find yourself judging people, being quick to judge them. You might, um, you might find yourself going for the emotions of doing church, but inwardly there's no life, there's no, there's no spiritual transformation take place. You're very good at going through the hoops and, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's of what the Christian life looks like, but there's no life inside. You might be more interested in just Christianity itself than the person of Jesus. That might be the symptoms of a religious spirit. A religious spirit can grow up quite easily in our spirituality because it's easier sometimes to conform than to be transformed. It's easier just to tick the boxes of church and face the challenge of real spiritual transformation, which kind of hurts and kind of is, is, is much more challenging. It's easier just to go through the motions of church and do religion than face the person of Jesus, as Carl said on that video. And if you mix in a little pride and a little hypocrisy, before you know where you are, you've got a Pharisee. You've got a Pharisee. And we, none of us would think we're Pharisaical. Would we? None of us would even... Oh, the Pharisees are like the Darth Vader of the New Testament. I mean, we're nothing like them. <laughs> or whatever the new one is. What's the new one? Kai Gogan, Jen, whatever his name I can't remember his name. But, you know, but the subtlety is there. The, 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 the toxic nature of some of these things gets into our spirituality... And it changes us. Jesus described the full effect of a religious spirit in Matthew 23 when he confronts the Pharisees again. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter in, nor will you let anybody else enter in. And that's what a religious spirit does. It's quick to judge. It's quick to get on someone's case. It's quick to close heaven over their life. And it, not only do you not go in and receive transformation, you don't want anyone else to come past you and receive transformation either. A religious spirit, it shuts things down. It shuts down the grace of God over our lives and the grace of God in the life of the church. And again, it's very subtle. We all do it. We all internally judge, don't we? That's me then. I'm, I'm the judger. Okay? We, all, we all see people and make, we're quick to judge them. We see them on first appearance or first comment and we... We judge them, or we carry a judgment against them, or we carry internal criticism, or we might gossip about them. You know, we're quick to be the judges. We set ourselves up over and above God, and we, we become the spiritual police in the life of the church. The problem is, guys, a religious spirit, if left unchecked, can be deadly. It was a religious spirit that nailed Jesus to the cross. Do you understand that? That was the fullness of a religious spirit. It took Jesus and it nailed him to the cross. Because it challenged the religion of the day. He, he was trying to get behind the facade and break it down. And they took him and they killed him because of the religious spirit that was within them. 
As followers of Jesus, we're never called to be religious. Never, ever. People just say to me, well, you're religious, aren't you? I say, well, I try not to be. And what they meant by that was, you know, <laughs> that's the only framework they had. You're religious. You've got a, you don't do things, do you, because you're a Christian. But we're not, never called to be religious. We're called to be fruitful in the person of Jesus. We're never called to be religious. We're called to be grafted into Jesus, and we're called to bear much fruit for the glory of his name. Amen? That's what we're called to do. And that fruit only comes if we allow Jesus to be the head, the head in our own lives and the head in the life of the church. And what we can't be is a people of religious spirit. So I'd encourage you again this morning, get in your garage, and is, is there stuff in there that looks like religion? It might have come in years ago, it might have come in recently. Get it out. Get rid of that. Because that's nothing to do with the person of Jesus. Jesus came and he attacked the religious establishment of the day because of the facade and the hypocrisy and the pride. We don't want that in, the life, in our life, in the life of the church. So that's religious spirit. The last thing I want to talk about today is, is kind of the state of our hearts. What's the state of your heart this morning? Jesus said in Matthew 13, 15, this people's heart, hearts have become calloused. They become callous. They become hardened. Um, you know, they've, they've let life harden their hearts. The prophecy that it was given was that Jesus would take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Yeah, and the world is trying to reverse that process all the time. It's trying to take your heart of flesh and it's trying to reverse it and harden it and, and turn it back into a heart of stone. And when Jesus saw these people and spoke to them, he found that their hearts were resistant. They weren't able to receive from him. They were like hard ground, you know, the, the, the rain couldn't penetrate. It had been so hard for so long, it was baked. And he went on to say this in Matthew 24, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. Isn't that a sober warning to us? Our hearts are a bit like those, have you ever had those hand warmers you can buy, that you kind of break, or you click, or you squeeze, and there's a chemical reaction inside, and they start to warm up. You've got about two or three hours of nice toasty hands and then they start to cool and then they go cold. And you have to take them and you have to either microwave them or put them in boiling water. You do something to reactivate them. Our hearts are just like those hand warmers. They're warmed by God but then they begin to dissipate heat. They grow cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler. And unless we get ourselves back into the presence of God, unless we connect ourselves back into the person of Jesus, then our hearts are only going to go one way. They're going to get colder and colder and colder. And Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, most, will grow cold. So one of our absolute priorities should be as believers is how am I keeping my heart warm? Because the hearts of most people are getting cold. How am I going to keep my heart warm? How am I going to keep my heart connected to the person of Jesus? Because life is draining heat from your heart, isn't it? Life is draining heat and love and warmth and tenderness from your heart every day. Every day is a life exchange. Love and life is flowing out from your heart into this environment, into the people around you, into friends, into family. And your heart is being dissipated of its love. So it should be an absolute priority. How am I going to keep my heart warm? How am I going to keep my love warm? 
And it's the same for us. We've got to really think about how do we prevent our hearts from growing cold? Because cold hearts, guys, are cynical hearts. They're indifferent hearts. They're hearts that aren't moved to be compassionate. They're hearts that can look at situations and think, whatever. Cold hearts can become bitter hearts. Cold hearts can become religious hearts. And so how do we keep our hearts warm? How do we keep our hearts as conduits for the love of God? Because a cold heart can't channel God's love. It can't channel the warmth of God's love to people. All it can channel is the temperature it currently is. Unless you want to get into hypocrisy, and then we go again, pretending you've got a warm heart when you haven't. So it's really essential that we keep our hearts connected to the person of Jesus and keep that warmth there. Absolutely essential. Because of the increase of wickedness, and wickedness is increasing, as Jesus prophesied, the love of most will grow cold. How do we keep our hearts warm against the culture, against the environment? So we talked about independence, we talked about hypocrisy, we talked about religious spirit, and we talked about our hearts growing cold. These are just some of the things that might be in your spiritual garage this morning. We've just touched the surface of some of the things that might need detoxing from your spirituality. Don't panic, is the first thing I'll say to you. Don't panic. Some of these things have been in there a long time, and they're going to take a while to come out. Carl said, since 1992, I've been on a journey. I've been on a journey of trying to put Jesus back at the centre. I've been on a journey of repentance, of trying to rediscover what the gospel really is. I'd love us all to go on a journey as a church of rediscovering who the person of Jesus really is. So he becomes the, the centre of our lives. He becomes the centre of our belief system. You've accumulated, and I've accumulated, all sorts of stuff on the way. And a lot of it looks nothing like him. Looks nothing like him. I'd encourage you to get back into the Gospels. If you've never read the Gospels, read the Gospels. If you've read the Gospels, read them again. Read them again. Read them again. Get back and discover the person of Jesus Christ. What did he look like? What did he say? How did he treat people? What did he do? What didn't he do? What made him upset? What made him happy? Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We have a revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We can't get past him. We'll never get better than him. He's the epitome of who we should be looking at and focusing as we detox our faith. Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Is it the sort of thing Jesus would do? If it doesn't, chuck it out. Repent of it, saying, Lord, I'm sorry, that's nothing to do with you. I don't know why I've carried that so long. That's nothing to do with you. That looks nothing like you. I'm going to throw it away, I'm going to clear stuff out, and I'll begin to detox my belief system. Back in John 15, Jesus said, I've called you to be fruitful, didn't he? You're supposed to be these, these branches that are connected to the vine, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to prune. I'm going to tweak them and prune them, and I want to produce all this fruit in your life. And it's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful image of what the Christian life should be that we're like a tended plant under the hand of the Father, with all the life and the nutrients of Jesus flowing up from us and into us. And that's the picture that Jesus painted for us of what the Christian life should really be like. You are called to bear much fruit. Is that amazing? And this fruit isn't just fruit for now. It's fruit that has eternal value. It will carry over into eternity. It will carry on for it. It'll, be, it'll have an eternal significance if it comes from Jesus. 
It's not stuff that's just going to be around for a short while. So that's the picture that we need to remind ourselves of as we think about Jesus. We all need a fresh revelation of who he is to help us detox our spirituality. I think the Father's here now. He said, come on, let's get this garage sorted out, shall we? Let's begin to pull this stuff out and just, just decide whether it's worth keeping. Because you don't need a lot in your life. You just need Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I've resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He travelled lightly as he went around planting churches in the Middle East. I've resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's stand together. One of the things that might help you um, as you think about this is we've got a Freedom in Christ course starting uh, on the 26th of February. And Freedom in Christ is fantastic for this sort of stuff. It's really good for getting under the bonnet and saying, okay, what's in there? You know, what do we need to clear out? What do we need to think about? What do we need to sort out? And uh, if you're interested in that course, I know some of you already signed up for that. Uh, Rose will be in the foyer today and you can go and pop your name down. But that will be really helpful on this process of detoxing our spirituality. So it kind of brings everything out and says, okay, let's have a look at that. Where does it sit? What does the Father really say? What does Jesus really say about who you are in him? Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>